Unbound Theatre presents The Chronicles of Professor Chronomier From the Depths Written by Dario Knight and performed by Erica Sanderson Chapter 5. The Sun The staff of the Albemarle Club were eager for their beds. Oscar and the Professor had spoken and laughed long into the night, whilst Bosey sat at Oscar's side, smoking moodily and glaring down at the floor. From time to time Oscar tried to bring him into conversation, and he gave some utterance and a faint smile, before letting his lover and the strange woman he had become so fascinated with continue their discourse. Bosey's detachment had not gone unnoticed by either of his companions. To Oscar it was simply one of the young man's moods. Such dark clouds of bad temper, jealousy and spite were not uncommon in him, but like clouds they passed to reveal the blazing sun. The professor knew of Bosey's tempestuous nature too, having read of it in the pages of Oscar's biography. From time to time she caught Bosey glaring at her contemptuously. Was it born of jealousy, she wondered? Did he resent her taking up hours of time he could be spending with his beloved Oscar? Or was there something more to it? Editor 6049 was trying to ingratiate himself into Oscar's timeline. What better way of doing it than posing as the man he'd taken as his lover? Finally, one of the porters plucked up the courage to invite the three of them to leave. Oscar apologised profusely for the inconvenience and paid a handsome tip by way of making amends. Gathering up his hat, cloak and walking cane, he led Bosey and the professor from the clubroom through reception and out onto the chilly street. "'Well, my dear professor,' Oscar breathed as he pulled his cape tightly around him, "'I hope I shall have the joy of your company again very soon.' "'I should treasure the opportunity,' the professor replied, keeping an eye on the sullen Bosey lingering behind Oscar. Wondering if the opportunity might not come again to test her theory, she turned to address him. Bosie, I should hope I might have a chance to spend an hour in your proper company, if you'll allow me. Bosie looked thrown for a moment, almost embarrassed. He was going to have to be polite. Oscar looked over at him with the wisp of a devilish grin. They may have been in love, but each knew how to revel in the other's awkwardness. Yes, Bosie, Oscar enthused. You've been quite the closed shell this evening. I should like that very much, he replied without enthusiasm. I must confess I was something of a devotee of your Aunt Flora's novel Gloriana, the professor continued unabashed. Quite the piece of work, Bosey muttered, and then looked up at Oscar. I'll have to catch you up. I've someone to see. At this hour? the professor inquired. Bosey did not look at her. He leaned up and kissed Oscar on the lips, glancing over at their companion in the hope of some scandalised reaction. Receiving none, he turned on his heels and walked away. Such a fine young thing, Oscar mused as he watched him walk away. The professor remained silent, but made note of where Bosey was headed. Will you share a cab? Oscar asked, raising an arm to summon a carriage waiting up the road. I much prefer the night air, the professor replied, 
The cab drew up beside them, and Oscar nodded to the driver. Well then, he smiled at his new friend, it's been a most pleasant evening, Professor. I trust I shall see you again soon. You shall indeed, she replied, allowing him to take her hand and kiss it, before stepping into the cab and tapping the ceiling with his walking cane. She watched the cart trundle out of sight, then turned and ran the way Bosie had departed. Aunt Flora, my eye, she grumbled under her breath. She knew from the book that Bosie's aunt was called Florence. It failed the test. Astrid and Elwood returned to the factory. Morland and Whalen were still missing. They'd attempted to summon them via Elwood's comms link, but there had been no reply. The displacement grenade had no doubt transported them somewhere beyond the underground network. Elwood was sure they would report in, given time. But for now, they had a job to do. Throwing the door of Beric's office open, Astrid didn't hesitate in approaching the commander's desk and searching through the drawers for the knife she had seen the first time she'd been seated in the room. Elwood searched through cupboards and drawers in the cabinets around the edge of the office. The bloke who came to see her. What did he look like? Elwood asked. I dunno, Astrid said, trying to recall the man's face. He was just normal. Bit stocky, short hair, nothing special. Who do you think it was? This 6049 bloke? She'd never let him in here. They'd meet undercover, Elwood reasoned. Maybe he's the bloke employing you lot, Astrid pondered hoping Elwood would elaborate more on the enforcer's higher power. Could have come to pay your wages. Elwood chuckled at the notion. <laughs> not their style, he grinned, and said no more. If he's not one of your lot, and he ain't your boss, then who is he? Astrid grumbled. Why don't you just ask? came a familiar voice from the doorway. Astrid and Elwood jumped up, and saw Beric glaring at them, gun drawn. The professor had caught sight of Bosie two streets away from the Albemarle Club. There were few people walking the streets so late at night, so locating him hadn't taken long. Holding back as far as she could in pursuit, she considered where the young man might have been headed. Bosie was widely known, so Oscar's biography stated, to have bedded a great many young men whilst engaged in his affair with Oscar. His indiscretions in gifting his bedfellows old items of clothing still containing notes sent to him by Oscar would make their lives uneasy in the weeks, months, and years to come. Perhaps tonight was another in Bosie's long hedonistic trail of lovers. Bosie stopped on a corner and waited. Some distance behind, the professor slowed her pace and stepped into a shop doorway for cover. She watched as another man approached Bosie. He was much older and had a sinister countenance about him. She could not hear the words they exchanged, but watched as the older man took a revolver from the depths of his heavy coat. Bosie took the weapon and snapped it open, checking for ammunition. Satisfied, he closed it again and passed the man a wad of banknotes. The man counted them, nodded, and strolled on, leaving Bosie on the street corner. He tucked the gun into his jacket pocket and then moved away. The professor followed him for most of a mile, winding through London in the cold night air. She feared Bosie or rather the impostor she suspected him of being, was headed back towards Oscar's hotel as he had promised. But her suspicions were allayed when instead, Bosie came to an imposing-looking building from within which music and raucous laughter could be heard. He waited on the pavement for almost an hour, chain-smoking cigarettes and pacing up and down, angrily muttering to himself. At last a group of men staggered out of the club, and Bosie pounced, stepping in front of one of the men and pulling the gun on him. 
The man raised his hands whilst his fellow revellers either fled or ducked for cover, too drunk to attempt to disarm the young man before them. Stay away from me, Bosey growled at the older man. Stay away from Oscar and leave us alone. The professor could see that he was almost in tears. Then at last something clicked in her memory. The man Bosey had confronted had too appeared in her book about Oscar. It was Bosey's own father, the Marquis of Queensbury, an unpleasant man who would loom large in the tribulations to come. He sneered at the warnings his son was giving him and spat at him when he paused for breath. Bosey leapt forward but did not fire, instead meaning to strike his father with the gun. He flailed and kicked at him, and the old man shuffled to avoid the blows, instead grappling with him before shoving his son roughly to the ground. You degenerate, he hollered, and his friends cowering in the gutter sneered. Queensbury turned and walked away. The other men followed, one or two spitting at the pavement where Bosey lay before disappearing into the night. Much though she suspected Bosey, the professor could no longer watch, and broke her cover by crossing the street to approach him. Bosey, I'm so sorry, she began, trying to help him up. What the hell are you doing here? he cried. I was worried about you, she answered, not entirely dishonestly. At the club you seemed rather distracted. Bosey panted and glared at her, but thought better of causing more of a scene. To the professor's surprise there were tears forming in his eyes. A little boy lost in the dark. He's going to kill me, the young man sobbed. Oh, Bosey, the professor sighed, approaching to embrace him. He quickly stepped back and put a hand to his face to mask his tears. My brother Francis, he replied with a wavering voice. He says he was murdered. A shooting accident, I gather, the professor recalled. It was no accident, snapped Bosey. He did it to himself. I know it because... He paused, trying not to choke on the words. Because of what he said to him. Because of how he treated him. The same way he treats me. Bosey, tolerance and understanding are not common in this day and age. I know that all too well, she confided. But this really is no way to go about things. What the hell do you know about it? Bosey screamed. The professor wanted to reply, to tell him her own experiences of judgment. But he turned and ran. History had played itself out, she thought to herself. Bosey had threatened his father with a revolver, trying desperately to cease the old man's persecution of Oscar for the illicit relationship he and the Marquis's son shared. Only something was wrong. She thought back to the book. The threat Bosey had made, she now remembered, was by letter. The evening's events were not the history that had been recorded. Trying to plan her next move, her attention was caught by something on the floor reflecting the light from the gas lamp nearby. She picked it up. It was a small, round object. One side was metal, embossed with an ornate pattern that seemed to stir something in her memory. On the other side were a series of glass spheres set into the surface, some of which were glowing. This was no invention of the 19th century, she thought to herself. She wondered if it had been dropped in the struggle. Had it fallen from Bosey's pocket when he took out the gun? Or had Queensbury dropped it in the scuffle? She turned it over and over in her hand, and then pressed a thumb onto one of the glowing spheres. In an instant, a column of light rose up from the floor around her, and sent a bolt of energy up into the sky. When the light faded, the professor was gone.
The Chronicles of Professor Cronomier, From the Depths. An unbound theatre production written by Dario Knight and performed by Erica Sanderson with music by Kevin MacLeod. Thank you.